Hey out there in listener land, this is Mel House, uh, co-host of Barely Living the Dream podcast. Um, I've wanted to do a film podcast for a while, I just haven't really had the time to do it. But recently, uh, my co-host Chris Warren and I found ourselves on the way out once again to California to work on a film, so we had pretty much 20 hours on the road to record a few, um, I guess, you know, the first few episodes. Um and that kind of has greased the wheel to create more. So if you would, on these first few, um, I don't know if I'm going to intersperse them with other sort of set-down interview-type podcasts once we get into it, but on the first couple, you may notice some automotive noise. I've dialed it out as much as I can, but it's, uh, you know, we're recording them on our iPhone because it was kind of like spur of the moment. And, um, you know, you'll hear a little bit of on-the-road kind of noise. So uh, forgive that. I think you still hear us pretty well. Uh, hopefully you enjoy it. And make sure you hit us up on Twitter. I am at Upstart Film. Chris is at SeaWorker4. Or check out UpstartFilmWorks.net for any other related news. Enjoy the podcast. Uh, welcome to the third. Is the third one? Third, yeah, third. Third episode of Barely Living the Dream. <laughs> Emphasis on Barely. Uh, I'm Mel House, and with me, as always on this trip, is Chris Warren. What's up, guys? And we've just completed our first uh, our first week on Wicked Tricks, and we're in the process of driving back to Texas right now for uh, the holidays, so Christmas is at the end of this week, and then my birthday's right after that, and then New Year's, and then we come right back out. Yep. So overall, uh, Chris, how would you say the first week of Wicked Tricks went? Really well. Um, I will say that, you know, honestly, this is probably one of the most, actually, it is the most organized set we've been on, Um, besides, you know, on yours or mine. But uh, honestly, it's uh, run really well. Um, haven't seen really any issues. The issues that that we're having are more on a on a upper level, upper echelon film, you know, that you would normally encounter, and it's a good thing. Like, it's stuff that stuff that you're not used to having to worry about on an independent film. Like, and it's really nice instead of you know some of these independent films you have to worry about. Well, are we even gonna? Are you going to have a day? You know what I mean, like uh, <coughs> that kind of thing. And instead, we're worried about we're worried about bigger problems, bigger fish to fry, things that you know <coughs> we should be worrying about instead of worrying about the little nitpicky things that we shouldn't have to be worrying about. Sure, sure, be done and taken care of. Such as, like, some examples. Um, well, you know, like making sure SAG paper paperwork's taken care of. Uh, yeah, making sure. Actually, actually trying to make sure like the effects get enough time that they want to shoot stuff. Uh, that's just a couple things. I mean, I'm trying yeah. to think of some other stuff. Permits, the permits. Permits, yeah. The fire, yeah. The, the fire safety <laughs> thing I had to do every morning. Yeah. So this is the first time that we've this is the first time that we've shot in LA. And actually, this is the first time that a lot of people have shot that that live there 
and shoot all the time have actually shot in LA with permits involved. So it's a whole process and you know, it takes forever as most bureaucracy in that manner does. And you know, we have, this is the first time I've actually, not only is the first time we filed permits and done everything like the total right way, but it's all like it being the first time we did it. It's also the first time I've ever been visited by the fire marshal on a set. Huh. Yeah. He actually came the first day, like two hours into shooting actually, yeah. and uh, had to make sure everything was done right. Which, for the most part, it was. We just had to get another fire extinguisher, I think. And uh, it was the first time that I had to, like, fill out the daily checklist, which is, you know, a little of a pain in the butt, but it's all for safety reasons, so it's it's worth it. But definitely, yeah, definitely there were sort of, like, the boring things that you don't really see in behind the scenes. Uh, that was me being the line producer as well as the assistant director that was a huge part of my purview on this shoot and will continue to be you know once we're back up but yeah that was there was it's like it was more worrying about that rather than worrying about oh is this person going to know what they're doing today are they going to show up drunk <laughs> are they actually going to be able to act yeah are they going to know their lines yes. everybody was pretty professional you know the crew was great it was a pretty solid crew is effects going to show up with actually effects to shoot right right that are going to work on camera um this is i would say this is probably the best crew i've ever worked with yeah, yeah. you know all things considered i mean it would definitely be like if we were playing uh i don't want to say fantasy football because i hate sports but if, if we we're playing movie making d movie making D. &D yeah, okay. I would definitely roll deep with this crew. Yeah, roll deep with this crew, and I would, I would definitely like have Will Barrett be on the orb of summoning. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. RDP. Yeah. But yeah, they're Top they're, they're pretty much the. I, every time I start go to make a movie or get ready to start thinking about making a movie, I always like it. You know, I don't. They don't do it so much in the movies, but in the old TV show Mission Impossible, there would always be a. Uh, sort of a, a montage at the beginning where they would go, eat, or not, it wasn't Ethan Hunt in the show, no, it, was it was somebody else uh, Hunt, but yeah. anyway, the the Peter Graves guy yeah. would go through and pick, select his agents for the mission at yeah. hand, and you'd always see pictures of other people, you know, uh, from other episodes that, but you know, maybe they weren't so good for this particular mission or whatever, but anyway, he'd go through and pick his four or five people that were going to go out with him, and... I always kind of play that game with myself, like when we're getting ready to crew a movie. I'm like, okay, who's gonna be, who's gonna work best in this situation? Which DP, which gaffer, you know, which sound guy, which effects team? Um, I think this particular crew, everybody that was involved, pretty much would be my first selects for all of that. Yep. Like they're the they're the A squad off the bench. Yeah. So uh, they they came in balls blazing. Like, yeah. No questions asked. Just let's hit the ground running and get this movie get this movie going. Yeah, which is saying a lot because um, most of them had never really worked together before. A lot of them had never even met us before. Yeah. For a lot of them, it was their first time stepping up to be key department heads. Yeah. Uh, which in a lot of cases, that's all. There were no underlings. There were just department yeah, heads. It was just department heads. All but you know, people that had just been grips or whatever were now key key gripping. You know, kind of thing. So. But they rose to the challenge and fucking killed it. Like by the second day, we were a, a, a cinema murdering unit. Yeah, I think we were tearing through. Like uh, the first day, we kind of struggled, as all first days usually do. We 
we struggled and I think it was like a six to five eighths page day. So it kind of got me a little worried. Yeah. But then the second day we killed like 10 pages. Mm-hmm. We even added stuff that had yet that either we either added stuff that was scheduled to shoot later on in the week or added new things to just con- make connective tissue to tie things together. So, uh, and we really couldn't do have done it without without our fucking badass DP Will Barrett. Yeah, uh, Will basically. I mean, for me, he made he made all that a possibility because he's a uh, you know he's the guy that shot he shot all the Hatchet movies. He shot Frozen, the horror movie, not the Disney movie, yeah. obviously. Uh, he shot a bunch of other stuff, but uh, and knocked it out of the park. Yeah, and he he just as a DP, he gets it like. And I, like I keep telling Chris, I want to send him, make sure to send him a Christmas card and maybe like a thank you basket because if you remember the previous episodes, I just can't, the previous episode, I I just, the last movie I worked on, I had the worst experience you, you could possibly have with a DP who was pretty much Will Barrett's polar opposite. So I so needed to have this kind of experience with, with, with that position on a film like this. Because we're shooting low budget. I mean, like, there's no way around. You only have so many days to get this. You have to get it. Or your movie doesn't get done. You know, you don't have flexibility. So, I worked with Will, maybe, I was just several years ago. Seven, eight years ago, it yeah. seems like. On a short film, and that was where we first met. We stayed in touch. He actually bought our lights. He bought some of our airy lights, which we were reunited with on this set. Um, but... I petted him a couple times. Yeah, you yes. petted him. You're... Did they remember you? Did yeah, they recognize they, you? They, yeah. they recognized my fingers. <laughs> <laughs> but um, he really is a guy who gets it, who gets the indie mentality, gets what you have to do, and gets shooting quickly and just getting the coverage needed for the story. But also, he's not going to just phone it in. Like, nothing he did was phoned in. Everything he shot was well-lit, well-composed, well-thought-through, and top-notch cinematography. But he moves at a very quick pace. He's a team player. Uh, so thank you, Will Barrett. Uh, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, expect gifts of some sort from me, I'm sure. Uh, what were we talking about this morning when I said remember that? Speak to that on the podcast. Um, I believe it was talking about a certain director that we had worked with. Oh, okay. Uh, that basically, so, you know, one thing, one thing we noticed on this set was we were... Truth, like like Mel said, we were truthfully making our days. Like, man, I think the first day we had a little hiccup, but it wasn't anything bad. Like, it was just, you know, getting in the groove, everybody kind of feeling everybody out. Yeah, first, and it was kind of an aggressive first day. Yeah, Like, exactly. there was effects stuff played. We were shooting part of the ending on that day. Yeah. Everybody kind of had to lock in. It was, it was a lot on me for scheduling a day like that on the first day. The problem is, like, that's kind of like almost the only things we could shoot because people have specific days they could couldn't work. And, you know, you kind of get painted to a corner that way. Right. So anyway, anyway side, sidebar. Just, just, to, yeah. just to kind of let you know context. Right. And so, I mean, you know, and if you've never, you know, scheduled or done a day before, like, um, you realize that nine times out of ten, and I mean, Mel, I mean, like you said, you know, the rest of our days were like ten and an eighth, ten and, ten and five eighths. I think there was one that was an 11 page day, wasn't there? Yeah. You know, we had really heavy days after that first day. So you always want to try to schedule an easy day for the first day because you wanted everybody to kind of gel, get in the groove. That way, that next day, you can hit the ground running and everybody knows what they're doing. And everybody's kind of in each other's heads. 
at least as far as like your DP and your key crew members can basically just read his mind and do what they need to do. Um, and if you know he wants to light a certain way, they know exactly how to set it up, yada, 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 that thing. Well, so a movie we worked on recently, um, we had a lot of, I had a lot of problems actually, which I know we ran into your job as my producer. Yeah. Um, because I had scheduled out this entire, it was two weeks, right? Three. Three weeks. Yeah. Entire three week shoot, right? And um, the next thing you know, we start really having issues with the director and it's obvious that like he's never edited before. Um, he's had some really, which as a director in my mind, I, I can't, I can't fathom how you could direct a movie without having some sort of editing under your belt. Um, because you need to know how, I mean, it's your vision ultimately, like you need to know how things are going to cut together. And if you've never cut something together, how in the world are you going to be able to do that? Um, yeah, there are people that have that do do that, but it's very rare, I think. Yeah, you know, and it, or they have they have such a grasp of cinema, I guess, without sounding too lofty. Yeah, that they get like they're cutting the movie in their head, even though they may have never cut on a Steam Deck or on Premiere, Premiere or whatever. Right. Like they see it beat to beat, but not everybody can do that. You right. know what I mean? Like, you know, there are guitarists that can't read music but they can play the shit out of the guitar exactly. and that's just natural talent yeah. but that's not everybody and and nine times that's a gift you know and natural talent only gets you so far right i think you know uh, without like there are rare occasions you know where you have savants but you know, i think you really do need to understand right you know well and it's like one of the guys we just had on set um he told you know he we were talking one night because we were actually st at least I and several other crew members were staying at the house that we were shooting at. Uh, we were all sitting around one night. We were talking. And he's like, you know, we you have to sharpen your skills in this uh, in this arena in this field of work, whether it be a gaffer, whether it be a first AD, whether it be a director of photography, whether it be anything like that. Like, you have to keep your skills honed in. Like, you can't. You can't just say, oh, well, I'm going to be a first AD and magically you're a first AD. Like, it doesn't work that way. Like, you have to work your way up the ladder. And then once you get there, like, you can't just say, oh, well, I've made two movies as a first AD. I'm awesome. You know, like, you have to continue to do it. Like, you have to continue to fight for it. And you have to hustle. Uh, and one of the best ways to hustle is to be out there doing it and showing everyone that you can do it and that you're very efficient. In whatever whatever position you're in, I say first AD because that's mainly what I do. But to be proficient in that, you know, and that you're not going to waste time. You're going to keep everybody on track. You're going to keep things moving, you know. Um, which goes back to what we were starting this conversation about. So we had some issues with the director, uh, director and director of photography, quite honestly, mm, of uh, a previous film, previous film, not this one, yeah, uh, not Wicked Tricks, but. Um, so we were having some issues and it was one of those things where there was only so much I could do to keep the movie moving because I mean, we would go in and there it is. That's, that's exactly what it was there. There was a time where basically we would go in and so he would start basically writing down his shot list for the day, which he should have already had, you know, 
pre-planned, ready to go. But instead, he walks in the day of and starts just writing down the shot list. And he hands it to me, and he goes, oh, hey, so for this two-page two page scene, I've got 16 shots I want to get. Why in the world do you need 16 shots for a two-page dialogue scene with no action? They're literally just sitting and looking at each other, and it's two people. Why do you need 16 shots? Well... How do you feel about that? Do you think 16 shots is a little ridiculous for... I think, well, I think it is in the context that we were shooting. Yeah. Like, if you have a three, four, five-month schedule... Yeah. You know, or you're working on a bigger picture. We have the luxury to do that. You can shoot the shit out of stuff. Then, sure, you know, great. Get all the coverage you want. But if you're shooting... I mean, even though that... That pick that picture had more air, you know, like more room than most things I work on. It's still it was still a low budget, quick shoot. Yeah, twenty one days is not a lot of time. Right. You know, like for for what we had planned, yeah. all the effects we had planned and stuff. So, but even with the four to five month thing, like I can't fathom. Well, I, you know, I, I know it happens you know, all the time. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Like they, there are, there are times where that does. People do linger on stuff and. You know, you have the Kubrick stories where they just take forever to do something. Yeah. But, like, you can't really do that in the indie world. I mean, right. it's just, you, just you, won't, you won't have a movie. You'll have an unfinished film. Like, I actually was... This morning, I was up on... I pulled up something on Instagram, and I follow... Uh, one of the guys I follow, one of the comedians I follow is Lil Rel Howery. Lil, L-I-L, yeah. Rel, R-E-L, Howery. And uh, he's, he's in Jordan Peele's... The movie that Jordan Peele's directing, the the thriller, yeah, called the Get Out or whatever, yeah. And his Instagram was a picture. It was a picture of him and Jordan Peele hugging, and Lil Rel was like, "Hey, great, great week on the set of Get Out. Can't wait to see you guys in a few months when I come back to shoot the rest of my stuff." Yeah. And I was like, "In a few months?" Yeah. What's like, that? I mean, obviously they're going down for the holidays, but you know they probably have a pretty pretty airy schedule yeah because it's a big budget I mean obviously it's Jordan Peele's movie he's one of the most successful comedian filmmaker guys in the world right now you know so he could probably they can afford to take the time and I was like a few months geez can you just imagine if you had that much time and I'm sure like it's just like money no matter how much time you have or how much you have it's never enough yeah you know like it still goes fast just like that three weeks on the other picture you know I'm sure there's there's an element of that, but still it would allow you so much more latitude to do things. To yeah. Shoot effects the proper way. Right. To spend one whole day. Like we were talking about certain sequences on Wicked Tricks that actually turned out okay. Yeah, they look really good. But what in a you know, like because Will works on a lot, Will Barrett, our DP, works on a lot of big stuff. And he's like, you know, on this other picture, this would have been one this would have been a, a day or two dedicated to just the sequence. Yeah. You know, and I would have had a, I probably would have had a day to light it. Yeah. Obviously, you can't do that. <laughs> you know, in our situation right now. So, you have to sort of realize, you have to realize and prepare for the situation that you're getting into. That you're trying to shoot 90 pages in, you know, 10, 12, 14 days, 21 days even. You know, and to do that takes a lot of planning. So, um, 
I don't know if this girl just got like escaped from a killer or whatever. She's running down the desert road. That was crazy. It was crazy. It was like a scene out of Seven or you know something. Yeah. Uh, hope she makes it home okay. I guess. Yeah. I hope. <laughs> um. But anyway, back to what you were saying about the. Um. Yeah. So I mean, you know, uh, with what Mel was saying, it's like. It's like if you don't have the time, you can't you can't spend that much time on something like that. But this this director decided that that was what he wanted to do. On the previous film. The previous yeah, film. Yeah, not, not Wicked Tricks. Not Wicked Tricks. Let me clarify. We're, we're, we're going back. Yeah. So he, you know, I mean, we would go, we would go take after take after take after take. And okay, so you want to get 16 shots. Well, then you've got one take wonders or two takes. You know what I mean? On each of these shots. Well, we would go into fucking, freaking, fucking, whatever. We'd go into seven or eight takes. You know, eight. I think we went to a max of like ten takes one time. On one one scene. And it's like, you know, you can't. And I was constantly telling him, you know, we can't do this. Like, you have to move forward. We have to move on. Like, we cannot sit here and do these take after take after take after take. And, you know, one of the things that I kept being told was, I'm not going to have, we're not going to have a movie if I don't get this. And it's like, well, wait a minute. Like you're going to have a movie, but you're definitely not going to have a movie if we continue to waste all this time sitting here doing 10 takes on every single shot that you want, you know. And nine times out of 10, I mean, you even, you know, you saw some of them. Nine times out of 10, he'd have it in the second take. Yeah. And we could have moved on. Um, and I, I distinctly remember there was one time where, and this was towards like almost the last day, um, we were sitting there and the edit, the onset editor walked in and told the director, look, you know, you need to only just shoot what I need or what you need, you know, pretty much you just need to shoot what you need for, to get the scene. And the director turned to him and he goes, well, what do I need? And the onset editor literally just looked at him like, uh, I don't no, like, I'm, this isn't my movie. This isn't my vision. Like, this is yours. Like, you don't, you know, and that, that's a bad thing as a director, in my opinion. And luckily, it was like the last day, because I could, or one of the last days. Because okay. I can only imagine if he would have said that like the first or second day, we would have been abandoning ship. Right. You know what I mean? Because we would have just sunk at that point. I mean, because it was right in front of pretty much all the crew. They all were standing around, you know. Um, but I mean, even towards the last day, like everybody kind of was already on that point of, okay, let's just get through this because we have to, you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. we have to at least show something for the work we've done here. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's one, that's one of the biggest things that I saw when there was an issue with the previous movie, not Wicked Tricks, uh, was that. It was just a constant, constant battle as a first AD dealing with a director and a director of photography whom, A, don't have a lot under their belt, which is fine. You know, I mean, I know some directors and directors of photography that have only shot one or two things, but you know what? They understand pre-planning. They understand storyboarding. They understand that, you know what? Before day one, you better have everything that you need and you better be ready. Like to come in and say, okay, and lay it out for everybody. Because that's that's gonna show so much leadership when you walk in the first day as a director 
and they see, well, wow, he has everything together. He knows exactly what he wants. He knows exactly how he wants to shoot this. Totally, we're behind this guy. You know what I mean? Like, and we're going to follow him. I mean, it's like following a, it's, it goes back to like war, you know, like if your general walk, if your general was to walk in and you're all sitting there in the war room getting ready to go and attack something, you know, whatever it be. Um, and he comes in and says, well, I have no real plan. Like, let's, let's talk this out and figure out what we're going to do. While people, while they're crowding your front lines, like yeah. the enemy is headed towards you. Exactly. Like they're and right on the edge. And you can see them. Yeah. <laughs> And you, it's like you have no idea what you want to do. Would you really want to follow that guy into war? I mean, I mean, no. I, I can personally say I would not. I would be like, no, nah, I'm, I'm, I'm good. Uh, I'm going AWOL, guys. Like, yeah. I'm out of here. Uh, yeah, I'm throwing my walkie in the bushes and heading out. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I think that does. That's a, that's a good point. Like the more, the more the director, the more solid the director's vision is, the quicker you get the crew on your side for sure because. The minute you step foot on that set as a director, questions, you're going to start getting barraged with stuff from the most mundane things to the stupidest things in the world to super important things and super important things that you haven't even thought of. All that's going to hit you. I mean, a lot of it may be filtered through the AD or producers or whatever, but still, you're going to hear a lot of it enough to where there's going to be a lot on your plate. And if you, if you're having to deal with all that stuff, plus have only just now started to think about how you're going to commit your vision to the camera, you're in a world of trouble. I mean, you're not going to make your days. You're going to spend half of the time that you should be spending shooting or lighting uh, in like blocking out stuff or figuring out how you're going to play scenes. Like you need to, you need to put in the work ahead of time. You know, it's not just show up and say action. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of people think that's what it is to be a director. and It's not. One thing that you mentioned that I want to kind of play devil's advocate on a little bit because I can, I know it's going to kind of open. We just came off of a couple of experiences this week where this was a benefit. Yeah. You mentioned that the previous, that the whole exchange about the, uh, the onset editor ask, telling the director what he needed Yeah. and the director asking what he needed. That, that exchange actually worked out well for us a couple of times this week, though. Right. You were in that position right. where it did kind of... I understood what you... We all understood what you were saying the first time. It where it's like the, totally the guy didn't have a vision, but yeah. to jump off of that, yeah. having an onset editor... Mm-hmm. Like, just talk about your experiences this week of doing yeah, that yeah, and yeah. like how it helped out, because yeah. it saved our butts a couple of times. Yeah, so, I mean, one thing you have to realize, like, in it, obviously, you know, independent film, time is money, money's time. Uh, and if you're... You know, if you're shooting really fast, like sometimes even the best director can forget something. You know what I mean? And that's one of the key roles of an onset editor is you're there putting the sequences together. And if something just isn't cutting right, you know, and I mean, you're totally doing just an assembly edit. You're not there to like make the make the pacing. You're not there to control that situation like you're literally just there to put it together so that way the director and the director the producers anybody who has the right to come behind you and say hey can I see that sequence and see if it's cutting right can uh, and I will say you know I'll, I'll speak to that that uh, there was several scenes that were shot very quick you know and things were kind of just like Okay, we have to move. We have to move. We got to get this. We got to go. We got to go. It was mostly from that first day. From that first day. Brutal. Yeah. So, uh, 
there's this sequence where there's an effect going on and you know as the effects going on we need to see the pain the anguish on the uh, the lead act the lead female's face as this is going on not giving anything away because you totally should check out wicked tricks when it does come out uh, you need to see the face and you need to see just the pain she's going through as she's dealing with this effect uh, well they there was no close-up ever got and so whenever uh, I went in to edit it I'm putting it together and I immediately the next obviously you know a lot of a lot of thing about onset editor is you're also editing you're also working while everyone else is at home asleep because you're trying to get them caught up so that way the next day they can prepare and if they need to if they if they need to owe something to a previous scene they already shot then they need to know that first thing in the morning so as we're going and I find this and I'm like oh crap we really need this I immediately you know the next morning went down to our director and told him I said look so we really need to get you know we I think we really owe a close-up of this to the scene um, if we don't it's just not gonna it's not gonna play right and I think you're gonna be really unhappy with it and uh, he said really I said yeah I said why don't you come up and look at it and tell me what you know because obviously it's not my place to tell the director what he needs to do but it is my place to offer an option and tell him to, hey, come look at this so that way you can kind of make your mind up and see if you're happy. Because if he was happy with it, you know what? At the end of the day, that's his vision. And if that's what he wants, then fine, cool. I'll be it. Let's leave it alone. Um, but so he came up, looked at it. And he said, oh, my God, you're absolutely right. And so at that point, you know, as much as it makes me feel good and make me go uh, pat on the back, you know, I caught something that's cool. It's also saving and helping the movie. Uh, and that's what I mean by that is that the director for Wicked Tricks still has a vision. He still knows what he wants and he's getting his shots. But, you know, we're human. We're all human. We make error. There's mistakes, you know, especially when you're moving fast. And that's why there's so many backup positions in film is to help catch if there is a mistake to catch it before we wrap and we can still get it, you know. So that's one thing I can speak to that, you know, onset editor is very helpful. Um, and I can see, and also, I mean, it's kind of, it's also kind of a backup to scripty as well, to script supervisors. Um, cause you know, once again, we're all human, you know, you could have the best script supervisor in the world and they may, they may miss one thing, but that one thing could, could screw up the entire edit of that scene. Um, especially if you have, you know, a wide or medium, and the actor's doing one thing, but then in the close-up, they do something completely different, and they don't catch that. I mean, yeah, you can still save it and get it in the wide, but if you have this really nice emotional moment that you're wanting to convey, and, you know, obviously the more emotional, the more intimate you want the audience to feel, so the closer you want to be to the actor, um, if you're not, if it goes wrong and that doesn't work, and that, that finger movement screws that up well guess what you either have to go get it again or you have to not capture that moment as well as you want and go into like a medium or a wide of it which kind of takes it away from the audience in a way because you're not intimate enough for them to really feel what's going on um, but 
yeah, that was that's where I would go with it. I would say that the onset editor is very helpful um, in that in that situation. Definitely in that scenario, I would say they're helpful. Yeah. Was there another besides that close up you're talking about? Was there another moment where looking at the, that you remember from this week where being able to go up and look at the sequence really quickly, like totally saved? Oh yeah, I and mean, sort of guided what yeah. we were shooting. Absolutely. I mean, there was. And that, that's also another thing, you know, like I, speaking to the idea of them helping script script supervisors, that's what onset editors can't do. Um, because, you know, uh, supervised, script supervisor is going to have it in its notes, but an onset editor has it right there for him to look at and can verify uh, that that's exactly what's on the screen. So we were shooting one scene with the lead actress and another actress, and we weren't sure about one of the props if it was the right size or not. Oh. And if the if the candy inside of this prop was in the correct position. Uh-huh. And on this film, you know, um, because we're a low budget and because we're just moving as fast as we can, I believe they opted out for scripting, correct? Yeah, there's just not enough money yeah. for, for script right. supervisor. Right. Which is nor which normally happens. Happens quite a few times. That's one of the positions that like gets gets thrown aside pretty early on. And under, I mean, not understandably so. It's a very important position, and we really felt the absence of yeah. scripty on this one. Absolutely. Which we'll get into in a minute, but you know, you just sometimes you just can't afford it. Yeah. And you don't want to, you don't want to, or can't ask people to work for free. Because okay. it's one of those situations where you may have people willing to volunteer, but those aren't the people you want in that position. Right. You know. And I'll tell you right now, like uh, script supervisors, even though they're sitting all day. And it looks like, oh, they're not really doing anything. Trust me. They work they, their ass off. They are doing a lot. If you ever look at a script supervisor, script supervisor, that supervisor's Bible, my God, it's just full. Like, it's just writing after writing after writing times, telling exactly when something was hit, how it was hit. Um, you know, it's just extremely helpful for an editor, for a post editor, especially. Because uh, onset editor, you know, I'm just looking to do an assembly. That's all I'm caring about. Where the post editor is going to be creating the pacing, going to be, you know, making everything look pretty and not jump cutty and stuff like that, you know. So, and sometimes the director may go, Ooh, I really liked how she delivered this one line. Well, Scripty's there. There's another note that they have in their Bible. The director says he really liked this line. And that alone can go to the editor, and the editor can be like, oh, okay, well, let me pull that up in that scene and drop it in and see if it works. So, um, with, with the idea of not having a script supervisor but having an on-set editor on board, at least you have some sort of backup for... If, you know, deep the, the DP and the director are both sitting there saying, well, you know, I think it was shot this way. I think her hand moved in at this point. They can radio up to me and say, Chris, pull up, pull up scene 37. And I need you to look and see how she, how she put her hand in the sequence. How, how do you have it edited in? And how is it in all the other takes? So that really can help because I could pull that up really fast and be like, okay, so in, in that sequence, she takes it from from her, her side and kind of pushes it into the actor's face. 
or something like that, you know, and I can tell them the motion, how fast it is. And even if not, you know, the, if I'm close enough, the director can, director and director of photography can run up real quick and be like, oh, okay, cool. That's how it goes. Um, that was something else that helped Will out, you know, was that Will, you know, I mean, because we were bouncing around from one scene to another, moving from the kitchen back into the bedroom, back to the living room. We were all over the place. Um, so, I mean, you know, he's not, he's great. He's a freaking wonderful DP. And once again, I, hands down, couldn't have done it without you, Will. Thank you so much. Um, but, you know, I mean, he's trying to remember everything else he has to worry about. And if we have to go back and pick up something, he's not, he's not thinking about that scene anymore. So he's like, well, Chris, what was the color temperature in this scene? Mm -hmm. So yeah. and he's like, can you go back and look at the metadata for me? So, and tell me what the color temperature was because we were shooting on a red one. So I ran back real quick, went into Premiere, popped open the uh, properties of the sequence. And sure enough, I could pull up his Kelvin temperature. I could pull up what his tints, like if he had a negative two tint or a negative four tint, I could pull all that up and tell him exactly what it was. So that way, because he knew his lighting, he knew how he lit the scene. He just wanted to make sure that his color temperature and his white balance were matching. So that way, for the colorist A, for post editor as well, that it doesn't look, it doesn't look off, you know, when we've shot it. And that makes that that makes a world of difference when you have a DP that can do that and thinks about that, you know. So um, that's a couple of other things that I can think of. It's like that's you know like you're getting deep into like. Like with color temp and all that, like stuff that people never think about, no. but super important. Yeah, and makes your life a hell of a lot easier. Like a lot of people don't even know what that means. Yeah, you know, filmmaker types. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But what, what does Kelvin mean? Well, it's, it's like all these things that are going to help you in the end. You know, so like make sure you educate yourself on that, that those things. Um, but yeah, let's let's talk a little bit more about the scripty stuff and. Yeah. Why it's, uh, I guess, why it is one of those things you need to think a little bit harder about trying to be able to afford, especially on a film like this. I mean, our situation is just like we couldn't. Yeah. So I'm not, yeah. I'm not busting on the producers for not. No, not because like I, I, being the line producer, I know exactly where all the money went. We couldn't afford a script supervisor. Right. You know, like uh, it's just, it's just not that movie, unfortunately. But if you can, and you can work it in there, and you can like lose the director's assistant or whatever other bullshit padding you may have in there to make yourself feel better about making a movie yeah. <laughs> or an expensive location or what have you um, it, it's a worthwhile investment because for this movie in particular not only did we have the way it was planned out we were sort of shooting out locations inside the house so we shoot out the kitchen one day we shoot out the bedroom one day we shoot out the living room one day more or less the exteriors are all one day but of course, the action in the script all happens at different times, kind of on different days, at different levels of intensity. It, you know, blood gets spilled certain places. So, is there blood here? Is there not blood here? How how intense are, are the people that are affected? How intense are their wounds? How much have they been hurt? You know, that kind of stuff. Did I say time of day? Did I mention that already? No. Time of day. Like what time of day it's happening? Morning, morning, afternoon, evening, night. Sun coming up. Sun going down. Where's the sun? Where's the house in regards to the sun? Where have we seen the sun before? How is she holding this knife? Yeah. What clothes is she wearing? Yep. 
Has she taken a bath already? Has she gotten out of the bath? Is he getting ready to go to work? You know, all, all this, did they turn the lights on in this room? That was a big one on this. That was a huge Because thing. in this script, the lights go on and off a lot, just for, for tension reasons. Uh, and, you know, there's all, there's the tension reasons that the lights go on and off, and then there are the normal story, someone's entering or leaving a room, yep. or it's daytime going to night, or nighttime going to day, and lights go on and off. But you have to keep track of that stuff, because if in the background, in the kitchen, you could be shooting in the living room, but if you can see the kitchen, if the light's on, and in the previous scene that you've shot, the light's not on in the kitchen, it's Makes not going to match. Yeah. You know, it may, it may not be something that people catch on first viewing, but it is jarring. And it, and it's, and it, it pulls you out a little bit, it's amateurish, and some asshole's going to bust on you for it. Yeah, they're going to blog you on it. Yeah, and that's totally going to color how they view your movie, you know. Uh, so you you want to you want to present as seamless of a fictionalized picture as, as possible. Yep. You know, so scripty really helps you. Script supervisor helps you do that by keeping track of all those different places you are at different times in the script because that that's their main focus. Like the guy the the guy who is graciously offering me a place to live while I'm being bi coastal, uh, Tim who has been in a few of my other movies, he is, that's what he does full-time now. Uh, when he's not acting on NCIS or whatever, he's a script supervisor. And like a heavy-duty one. Oh, like, yeah, I mean, he knocks it out the park. Yeah, like I got home from Wicked Tricks a few times this week, and he, he's on a shoot right now uh, for a Showtime movie. And he would get home around the same time. And I'd sort of unload, start doing call sheets, and then I'd go to the, you know, like go out in the hall or whatever. And I'd see him at his computer just like with all his reports lined up, Everything up on the screen, he's doing production reports, page report, you know, just all the crazy stuff that Scripty does just to give them a clear picture of what was shot, how it was shot, and how future things need to be shot to match it. And it's just, it's a really, it's a really detailed job. It's an intense job. Like, until I was so close to, to Tim doing it all the time, uh, I didn't realize how detailed it was, you know? Uh, just because I've never really, in the past on my movies, I've had to kind of, that's a job I've had to sort of do myself uh, and keep track of, and I, I fuck it up all over the place. The the major stuff we kind of kept, you know, it works. But there are things I miss for sure. Uh, so I just never really, I've never really had one on set on my stuff. You trust me, that's normal if you don't have a script supervisor. Like, it's going to be hard because, especially for a director, because like Mel said at the beginning, it's very hard for you to, it's very hard for you to like, come in, have all this stuff on your plate, and you're already getting asked a thousand other questions, but yet you're still the guy that has to try to remember, did she move her hand, you know, from screen left to screen right? Yeah. Did she put her hand up to her face on this line? Yeah. You, you, you're trying to remember that with everything right. else you have to remember, like, was the Was the cutting face of the knife down or up exactly was it was the knife facing outward or inward you know which what kind of grip did she have on the knife yeah. Yeah. because you're cutting into stuff where it's like you would see the difference the difference you know so it's uh yeah super important things like that so i'm hoping to sit down with tim at one point uh i was hoping to do it this week but just, there's no time because we're both working on intensely scheduled shows um but maybe next next time we're there, like when we're there in a couple weeks, uh, just sit down with him and like 
bounce a bunch of questions off of him. That'd be cool to, to get a, to yeah. get a, yeah to get like a real detailed uh, picture of what what script he does. Um, but yeah, if you can afford it, definitely worth the investment. Yeah, don't don't stray away from if you can if you can shed the extra the extra amount of money for it, please like do because it's gonna save you so much hassle in the long run. It's gonna save your editor so much hassle because. I mean, you're in the middle of editing and you're going to cut this emotional scene and you're into it. Because, I mean, even as an editor, like, you kind of have to go into, you need to get into the into what you're cutting. You know, you need to get into that whole the feeling, which I'm sure we're going to get into editing in another episode. But, yeah. Uh, just briefly, you know, you have to get into that moment so you can make that moment feel right. Um, so even while you're editing, like, and then you go to cut something and, and the knife's go one way or the other and it doesn't cut right you know it, it just takes away it, it, it causes a huge hassle and you know of course the post editors sit there going why didn't scripted catch this why didn't why didn't onset editor catch this why didn't you know why did this go through 15 different people and nobody caught it you know so that's why there's so many backups that's why you have all that in place and so it's definitely definitely a thing that if you can't shed the money please please do yeah. Pause to gawk at this accident. Jeez. It's an 18-wheeler. Completely flipped the over. Trailer flipped over. Wow. Uh, damn, son. That sucks. Yeah. I'd hate to be on that side of the road. Yeah. Let's see. What else can we sort of speak to off this first week? Uh, what do you think... What do you think was the biggest positive difference on this film versus all the other stuff we worked on on this set just the crew yep hands down the crew the crew I mean, and men specifically just, what just just their, knowing what they were doing or yeah I mean their their ability to know exactly what their job was that you know and I'll say this it was different because you know we're so used to working on sets where everybody's kind of a swing for everything you yeah. know what I mean like you're you're not just an onset editor you're not just a DIT you're not just you're not just a gaffer you're not just a key grip you know um, if you're G&E nine times out of ten you're also doing camera work you know what I mean like you're also an AC on a lot of stuff that we do right. where you know we're out in LA and guess what like that's not that's not how it works out here. Like it's, hey, I'm a gaffer. That's all. That's my job. Yeah, they're specialists. That's my job. Instead of generalists. Yeah, I don't, I don't touch camera. Camera doesn't touch my lights. Like, yeah. that's it. You know. Uh, so it was different to it was different to get into that zone and deal with that. Although there was some of that to generalization on the set, just because we didn't have like. You know, a gaffer with a best boy with a you know, right, right. We didn't have all that. We didn't have a key grip with five grips underneath them. Yeah. You know, we didn't and have was, all that. So. Yeah, and we kind of, while we were working with more or less generalists, they were open to swinging. Yeah. If need be. You mean specialists open to swinging? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Specialists. Yeah, yeah misspoke. Specialists. They were open to swinging if need be. Because that's kind of what has to happen on this, had to happen on this set. Right. Everybody does kind of two or three jobs. Fuck, I'm doing it. Yeah. And no, I'm doing I mean, the two hardest jobs on the set. You know. Too. So, uh, it's it's it was a good vibe. 
Yeah. Like they, no one was really like, well, I don't. I'm not moving that. I'm yeah. not. I'm not art department. Shit. You know, well, like. Thank you. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. So I mean, that's yeah. That's definitely was the most positive thing on the set. And, you know, and I mean, no drama. I mean, None. my God, like yeah. I have, I can't tell you how many sets we've been on where it's like, okay, so what's going to be the the problematic, huge drama blowout that we're going to have to deal with on set. Yeah. That, or, you know, this person's dating this person and now that person has decided to go have sex with the lead actor and now we've got to deal with all this, all this drama on set because they're just being stupid and unprofessional. Yeah. Uh, Instead of keeping it to themselves or not waiting until after the movie's done, you know? Yeah. Um, it's that kind of thing you know what like we didn't have any of that on the set like it was smooth uh, the director came in and you know could command the set you know what I mean and yeah no no problems no issues nobody was biting back on that same thing with the director of photography I mean Will could walk in after the director and him after him and the director had sat down and like gone over everything and kind of walked through it and gotten all in their head Will could walk in and say, okay, I need this moved, I need this here, I need that here, let's do this. Art, I need you to come in. I mean, and truthfully command the set and nobody argued back. There was no bitching and complaining because, oh my God, I have to go help Art because nobody else can. It was all hands on deck. Let's do this. Let's get it going. And let's make a great movie. You know, and that was that was a great thing to feel. Instead of, uh, uh why am I have to do this? I don't understand. You know, uh, I'm a PA. You know that kind of crap. Like you know, everybody was willing to help, and it was super, super. Once, and I'm just gonna say this now: thank everybody on the set of Wicked Tricks because it was super appreciated, and it was a, it was a great first week, and I can't wait to get back to the second. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, as I mentioned earlier, I definitely needed an experience like this. You know, obviously there were challenges. There always are, because you're making movies is one of the hardest things in the world to do. Yeah. If it wasn't that hard, everybody would do it. I mean, everybody tries to do it, but it's not always good. Exactly. It's usually not good. Yep. You know. Uh, so it, 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 there's a lot of moving parts, a lot of weird sort of problem solving, un, unglamorous problem solving that you have to do to do to pull it off correctly. And you really need your, your crack team of assassins. To help you go yeah. through, like you know, and we, we lucked out and got it this time. I think. Um, I, you know, what would you say? What would you say? I guess with that in mind, were our biggest challenges that you noticed? Aside from the stuff we, I mean, just just general scheduling money. Right. Um, one of the biggest issues was was partially that I saw at least was partially the, the location. Yeah. Um, and that's why it's good to have a location scout, you know, somebody who goes out and does that, which that's a totally extraneous, you need to have a lot of money to be able to pay somebody to go scout out a location for you. Yeah. Uh, but it is a great thing if you have that. If, or if you yourself as the director say, you know what, let me handle this since, you know, it's my vision. I need to know what it looks like and I need to be able to see everything. Um, that's one thing I can definitely say was a big hindrance was the the location was just kind of not bad, but it wasn't great either. 
that makes sense. Like, and, and I mean, even the director said several times as we were shooting, you know, well, location's fucking us again. Like, yeah, well, you know it wasn't I mean? exactly like, what he had envisioned yeah, exactly. as far as geography. And there's a lot of chasey, chasey, Heidi, cat and mouse stuff that happens. And he had pictured it a certain way and had made the script flow in such a way. And it just wasn't happening in this house. So, yeah, it definitely came up. Where, you know, the whole scenes kind of had to be re, reworked, re-envisioned yeah. to make them work dramatically uh, with the ge- geography and geometry of the place we're, we're working with. Which I will say, he did a great job with. You know, yeah. In taking it and putting it in a new direction to build the tension. And on the fly, mind you, which that's one of the biggest things. I mean, you know, as, as going back to speaking to what you're saying about a director and how, you know, you walk in in the drop of a hat, something snap of a finger, something could change drastically. And you have to be able to fly off the handle, fly off the seat of your pants, you yeah. know, and be able to say, okay, so we're going to do this. We're going to make this work. And this is how we'll make it move. Yeah. Uh, Cause if you can't, you know, cause that happened. I mean, every set I've ever been on, whether it be drama full or drama free, you still have those issues there it's gonna happen you know and just expect it and be ready for it and be ready to answer as quickly and as smoothly as you can you know don't scoff and huff and puff and storm off if something isn't working the way you want it to especially if you're the director because that's just that doesn't doesn't boost morale doesn't make things better uh, the crew just kind of looks at each other and goes, well, what the hell was that about? Right, and they're all probably working for less than they normally get to facilitate something that, in the end, if it's successful, you're pretty much, as the director, the only person going to get credit for it. So, yeah. be yeah. cool, man. Like, remember that. Because yeah. I remember there was a joke a couple of days ago that he was like, all right, so if this movie, this is the director, if this movie fails, I blame all of you. And I... I was standing by when he said that and I turned and looked at him I said you know you are the you know what happens right in the fo- in football when the when the team loses right they don't look at the team they look at the quarterback right, right. and guess who you are you're the quarterback so yeah. it doesn't work that way <laughs> yeah or if uh, if we're talking D&D to use that analogy from earlier yeah, yeah, yeah. go nerd with it That's yeah it. yeah you're the uh, you're the Aragorn yeah, strider yeah. yeah you're the strider yeah you're the one that's you're in charge and yeah. I mean at the end of the day it all falls on you it, it's not nobody's gonna I, I swear to you if your movie comes out whether it's good or bad no one is gonna go to the first AD especially the first AD and say hey you did an excellent job on this film oh yeah that's like, never happened. never gonna happen it's <laughs> like, never gonna happen yeah that, nor are they gonna go on set editor nor are they gonna go to they're going to go to the director, the director of photography. And probably the actors. And probably the actors. And that's it. Yeah. And the actors are first. Like, it's... Yeah, well, of you course. Know, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, they don't... The and then, yeah, and that's just the nature of the beast. Yeah. And we're not complaining, but... No, not at all. Uh, but, you know, as a director, you need to keep that in mind. That these people, no matter how well you're paying them, they're still busting ass to... It, it, in an ideal situation. Uh, they're still breaking their backs and busting their asses to facilitate your vision so if they come up to you with a question be ready to answer be respectful you know and be informed about everything you be informed about everything you possibly can be informed about so that you can answer their question intelligently because you have I mean some of the questions I've gotten as a director I never would have anticipated you know like just 
be it performance questions from actors informing their character mm-hmm. or DP lighting questions, things like that. Like, just, you know, be ready. Like, you, you are God of this, <coughs> excuse me, you are the God of this imaginary world. So, you know, you're controlling, you kind of are controlling everything. Yeah. But at the same time, un- and I'll, I'm going to side note, sorry, don't mean to yeah. step in, but also realize that with that, there's going to be things like Mel said before, there's going to be things you're not prepared for. And, but be as prepared as you can be. So that way, when that unprepared thing happens, you're ready for it. Like, yeah. Or you, or you can answer naturally, like just using the information you have, all the other information you have, you brought to bear. Like, you can flow out of that. And you can figure, you know, sort of like reach a mutual agreement as to what needs to happen. Exactly. Which, you know, like like you said, like rethinking scenes on the fly. Okay, this isn't happening this way. Now it's got to happen this way. How would, how would this happen in this world that I've envisioned if we're going to do it? way B instead of way A and be ready to have that flexibility because you can't waste time just crying about what you're never going to get yeah you know unless you just don't oh well you know this doesn't like this is not how I this is not how I pictured the house looking or the next door neighbor said that the the neighborhood or whatever well unfortunately we don't have a back lot or CG budget to replace elements or a location that works in that way, so tough to set the kidney. Right, figure out how to make it work. Yep. You know, uh, honestly, those are not. Those are the things that I don't think. Are, if 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 your script is there and your vision's there, those are not things that are going to kill the movie. Exactly. You know, if your lead actress is terrible, you know, then then the then, then then you have a problem. But uh, and, it's kind of like and she wasn't. I'm not saying that. No, I'm just no, saying no, like no. you know. Um, you know that those are like those are the kind of things where the, that will really slow you down. But the other stuff, you can kind of like make it work to your advantage, make your weaknesses your strengths. I mean, that, you know, to speak to what you're saying about bad, like if your actresses or actor uh, speaking to that, that's more of like a reference to like look at Apocalypse Now, where like uh, who was the first one before Sheen? Um, uh, Kaitel. Kaitel. You know, you had Kaitel in there. And he just wasn't giving uh, what they needed for yeah, the movie. Yeah. Wasn't giving coping and it's not that he's bad; he just was wrong. Or like right. uh, fucking Eric Stoltz. Right. It just for yeah, Back to the Future. Back to the Future. Like it just wasn't and enough. It, right. If you see the little footage of the, I mean, you can see that he's not as much as I love Eric Stoltz. He's actually one of my favorite actors. Yeah. Especially in The Fly too. Fucking underrated gem. Yeah. Uh, but you can see that he's not Marty McFly, or at least not the Marty McFly they needed. Yeah. So, but even in Apocalypse Now, like I love Hybrid Harvey Keitel. Yeah, yeah, I love him. Like he's a great actor, but it just when you put Martin Sheen in that role, right, it becomes a totally different, it's a different movie. Yeah, you know, and even with crazy ass Marlon Brando. Right, like, right. You totally talk about making your weaknesses your strengths. Yeah. like you know, him showing up hundred pounds overweight. You know, like there's supposed to be a whole fight scene that didn't make it in there. Which, by the way, if you ever want to see like the craziness a director can go through. Yeah, Hearts of Darkness. darkness. Watch oh, it. Man. The it, making you, of Apocalypse Now. You will you will totally understand everything we're talking about when we say how hard it is and how hard it could even be more or how much more harder it could be for a director. Yeah, with all the... Because yeah. he, he made that movie coming off The Godfather. So he could like do whatever the fuck he wanted. Yeah, pretty much. So, but still, 
it was nothing but strife. Mm-hmm. And it, I mean, it, it worked. I don't know that they were doing, I mean, there's something weird about that film that just sort of like, it, it became its own entity, I guess. Yeah. And it all worked. But like, I don't know if they were consciously making their weaknesses, their strengths. I'd like to think that they were, uh, Yeah. but I think it kind of like had its own momentum too. Right. Like it was, it just came together and it, because of the talent of the people involved exactly. and everybody stayed focused and was, I mean, it was, they were living, a, it was a living hell, but they stayed focused on the task and made a movie that's now like a classic, you know, yeah, and everybody wanted them to fail. Oh, yeah. You know, like wanted, like hardcore one. Yeah. But so much is going against them, but they figured out a way to, I mean, think about it. Your lead actor who's already kind of volatile, not lead actor, but well, the other lead actor, yeah, Ron yeah. Brando, who's already kind of volatile, shows up and doesn't know their lines and can't even shoot what you had envisioned him to shoot, changing the whole ending of the movie. Because, like, they set them up to be Green Berets, and then you're not going to have a Green Beret yeah. showdown. Like, any other director would shit their pants. Yeah. Like, what, a, what now? Like, yeah. what do I do? We're having a showdown with no showdown, exactly. right? But if you really think about it and sort of, like, get your head around the movie that you're... Not the movie that you wanted, but the movie that you now have, have, to, make. To, have to make. Yeah. You can maybe Apocalypse Now. Because, like, I, there's... I, now... There's no fucking way I'd want to see them fight hand to hand. Like even if we could go back and fix it, like because it's it's so much. The way the Kurtz thing plays out now is so much better. Yeah, I think. exactly. And way creepier because it's almost like he's scarier because you don't know what he's capable exactly. of, and you just see him in shadow and stuff. And so there's a really good example of shit like that working, you know, uh, for your benefit. Now and watch like, watch the watch the behind the scenes of Island of Doctor Moreau, the remake. That's why you see it. Yeah, that's where it kind of really goes. Bad. Yeah, where it goes down in flames. Yeah, yeah, and again, that project also had its own momentum. But I think it was cool. It was the negative opposite kind yeah, of it was pulling it in another direction because yeah. you didn't have a lead actor that was like that was that walked in and basically said, "Okay, I'll carry this film." You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you had it was just well, bad, they kind of they threw their director under the bus, kind yeah. of exactly. So it's like the one guy that maybe had the vision to make it work. They crucified. Yeah. And the crew almost mutinied over that. So you really gotta, like, yeah, people, I think producers really need to watch it like that and see what the dynamics are like. Another good one is uh, Burden of Dreams. Yeah. About Fitzgeraldo with uh, Werner Herzog. Yep. And, you know, he's he's again the same type of like bullheaded auteur. He's just gonna make the movie no matter what, figure out ways to make the movie. Yep. Uh, So, and uh, Despite the Gods, which is a newer one about. Jennifer Lynch trying to make her snake movie hiss in uh, India. Yeah. But all, all that, like I try to watch at least one of those, if not a couple of them, every time I'm about to start a production, either of my own or before I go work on one, because it kind of, it you know, it reawakens that stuff in me. I'm like, okay, the dynamics, okay, this is how they solve this problem. And this is how they solve this problem. Yeah, to be ready for it. Yeah, it, it kind of gets your mind ready to, to bend in those weird ways. So. Yeah, and another another great one to watch if you're just wanting to watch a great behind the scenes, and I'm sure we're getting close to time. Yeah. Uh, if you're wanting to watch a great great behind the scenes, pick up the Blu-ray of the Alien Quadrilogy. Oh yeah, it's like film school in a box. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, literally, like to hear you hear some of the greatest directors of the, of this generation and probably generations to come. Um, speak on just the craziness that went on on set, 
how they had to solve problems. Yeah, because each one of those movies was like, in a way, a clusterfuck. Yeah, and and trust me, some of the issues that you know you you might be having on your set, even with a ton of money, that director, the director that is James Cameron, or you know those those names that you know, still have those same issues, even on bigger budgets. So it makes you kind of look back and I know me and you talked about this before it, you, it makes you look back and go well wow no I don't feel so bad that you know I had this issue or I had this problem because right. it even happens on bigger budgets and yeah. you know you just it, that one can help you it definitely can it's like film school in a box but also you realize wow okay I actually am doing things right you know if you know if you do run into one of those where it's like oh crap I had the same problem on my side right right or you, you're doing your own version of your you know your own version of that right just at a lower level exactly but yeah that's a good that's a real I always recommend that to people because it really watching them because I love all four of the movies for all you know even with their warts and all like the later ones but yeah the when I watched that the first time through <coughs> all the BTS stuff because it's like probably six hours worth of stuff it was the first time where I'm like, wow, the shit is the same yeah. at every level. And, like, you have more money, maybe, but in a lot of ways, that's just more people to deal with, more people in your way. Yeah. Like when Cameron gets the alien and throws it on, like, he does the shot himself because the effects team's not getting it. Uh, but, yeah, it was the first time where I kind of felt a little bit better about the path we were on. Uh, and another one close to my heart is the Nightmare series. Yeah. Like, if you get those Blu-rays, or the, even the DVD set that came out had a lot of shit where it was like BTS in every movie, except for maybe four, because that was the one where they had the most money because they were at the apex of their popularity. Yeah. But every film had its own set of issues, and it's all effects-heavy craziness, logistically complicated and challenging stuff, but they have to just figure out ways to make it work. Um, and that was the like my favorite, my favorite director quote of pretty much all time comes from Chuck Russell, who directed Nightmare 3. And uh, he's just like the director. That's when I learned the director has to be the last man standing. Because essentially you are. Because, you know, that's it's, it's up to you to, to make this movie. You're, sorry. And you just have to remember that, you know, and that applies to... that. You can, re, you can take that in a lot of ways. But basically, like you said, the quarterback analogy is a pretty good one. You captain, know, I mean, captain the ship. Like, yeah. I mean, seriously. You know, like everything either, is on your shoulders. Yeah, you're either going to... You're either gonna, make it to your destination or you're going to go down with the ship right and be ready for that i mean and i mean don't obviously don't think so oh god i'm gonna i'm gonna sink the ship you know and this, this movie's just gonna fail go in there with all best intentions and nine times that didn't you'll walk out with a great thing under your belt you know and something to be proud of um yeah for sure and I, with that i guess we should probably wrap it up yeah so uh I don't know. We may do another one on this trip, on the trip back. We'll see what we come up with. I can uh, see it coming. Yeah. But uh, definitely look for more episodes to pop up around that first or second week of January once we're back on set and hopefully talking to some folks. Yeah, and hopefully we'll have some, some new big announcements to make too. Yeah, totally. That, that would be awesome yeah. if the timing works out. Yep. In the meantime, uh, follow us on Twitter. I'm up at Upstart Film. At CWAR5454. Uh, I'm up. I'm at Upstart Film on Instagram. Website's UpstartFilmWorks.net. Um, yeah, follow us for updates. Thanks for listening. Adios.